Today's sponsor is Audible.com, which has more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Get a free audiobook of your choice at audible.com slash decode. Recode Radio presents Recode Decode, hosted by Kara Swisher. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, executive editor of Recode. You may know me best as the person who survived on Mars longer than Matt Damon, but I also write about tech in my spare time. And you're listening to Recode Decode, a podcast about tech's key players, big ideas, and how they are changing the world we live in. Today's guest in the red chair, and I'm very excited to have her, is Valerie Jarrett, perhaps one of the most high-profile staffers in the Obama administration, perhaps the longest-lasting. She is an advisor to the president and oversees a number of things, including the Office of Intergovernmental Affairs and Public Engagement, which does outreach to state and local officials and stakeholders across the board, from business large and small to college students to athletes. She is also the chair of the White House Council on Women and Girls, which is charged to promote women, including in STEM. Welcome to the podcast, Valerie. Thank you, Cara. It's a pleasure for me to be here. And I'm so glad you mentioned Matt Damon. Yes, of course. Did you see the movie? I saw the movie this weekend. And what I loved about it Mm -hmm. was the fact that the woman, they had a woman who was the captain. Exactly. Had a woman who was the one who actually discovered that he was alive on Absolutely. Mars. Absolutely. Uh, you had um, an African American guy who figured it out yes, and had a, the Mars mission. It was Absolutely. very diverse. It was yeah. Very diverse women, minorities, all working together. So I thought it was yeah. a very positive movie, particularly for young people who might not yeah. have family members who are interested in STEM mm-hmm. or have any role models. What better role model in this great movie? It was movie? also just a good movie. It was a great yeah, movie. It was I like, really is he enjoyed gonna get, it. I knew he was going to get off of Mars, but still. I hoped he would. Yeah. And I'm not much on space movies, yeah. generally speaking. No, they're usually but cold. It was, it was very cool. Do you want to live on Mars? No, I don't. No, I, <laughs> like I, I Elon Musk or No, others. not at all. Yeah. I, like, I like, think I'll just stay put. Stay put on the yeah, Earth, on planet right Earth. Yeah. Um, you know, it was interesting. Uh, we'll get into the, the idea was the, the line that was most famous is we'll science the shit out of this. Like the idea that, you know, mm-hmm. making science fun, um, which we want to talk about a little bit here among a number of other initiatives that you're doing. Um, let's start at the sort of the broader level. The, the Obama administration was brought in, did a lot of tech-friendly things right away. How would you assess the record on tech? And we'll talk a little bit of Obamacare and other things, but how would you assess your pushing the tech agenda? And not the tech's agenda, but the idea that tech is important to government. Well, I think we're a work in progress. We've made a lot of uh, – we've taken a lot of great strides, particularly ever since the challenges that we had with the website. Yeah, I like challenges. I think, well, it was a huge <laughs> – public embarrassment. Right. And similarly to the movie, it's not what happens to you, it's what you do about it. And I mm-hmm. think the fact that we were able to recruit in some extraordinarily, you know, world-renowned experts to come in and help us fix it in mm-hmm. the short term. And then out of that process, we really began to take a look uh, federal government-wide and how what is our approach to technology? And we found that we're really basically we're in the dark ages. And so through a whole range of different initiatives, we've been able to recruit part-time or permanent folks from Silicon Valley to come out and help us in throughout the federal government. So and I think we've made a lot of progress. Why do you think that is? I mean, it's one thing to use these social media things, but the government is not as digital as the rest of the world. I mean, one of the things I, I was on Meet the Press and I said, you know, Tinder works better. And that it's no, it's a very complex computing challenge to match up all these people. But it's a similar thing that if you can get Amazon to work and Google to work every day flawlessly, what's the challenge for the federal government on the overall level? Well, I think we pl- we're playing catch up. Let's mm-hmm. face it. Uh, this is an existing infrastructure that's in place. We have procurement rules that aren't necessarily friendly to um, technology and, and the entire way that we 
approach our business has not been tech savvy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's different. So, for example, the president's two campaigns mm-hmm. were on the forefront of technology because they were startups. All the campaigns are. Exactly. And so if you imagine here we are the largest entity, business entity in the country, and we have existing infrastructure in place, transforming is a lot harder um, through technology than starting up. Is it a people problem or an equipment problem? It's both. Or or a knowledge problem? It's um, a knowledge problem. It's a recruiting the right people problem who have expertise in this area. It's the procurement rules. There are laws and regulations that we have to operate under that are not the same as you would in the private sector when Mm -hmm. you're not bound by all of those restrictions. So I think there's a whole range of ways in which we fell behind for decades, and now we're playing catch up. But I'm very proud of our record um, over the last six and a half years, and I think we will leave the federal government in a much better position for the successor who comes in. How do you assess Obamacare working now? Do you think it was a permanent black eye or just, look, we had a software glitch and we're going to get through it? I think we had a huge software glitch, Mm -hmm. um, fixed it. It's working really well now. In a sense, because it got so much media attention, Mm -hmm. it gave us an opportunity to get everybody to focus on it once it was solved. Mm -hmm. Our enrollments for the first two enrollment periods um, are terrific. Over 17.6 million people now have health insurance who didn't before. We're getting ready for our next enrollment period in November. And so I think it was – it. it was a huge wake-up call to a flaw that we had. We fixed it, and then we used that as a way of diagnosing problems that we're having throughout Elsewhere, the federal throughout. government, exactly, and right. brought in the expertise to help fix now it. Now you only have to worry about the Republicans. That's all on the issue. <laughs> You'll not comment, I know. Um, so let's talk about that idea of getting experts into the government. The, you know, one of the things you guys have put out is this tech hire idea. There's 120,000. There's jobs all over the place in tech. Um, there are uh, – there's the, the pipeline, if, if it could be filled, it would be a great area to bring up people, the minimum wage, people that, that could – more diverse workforce. It, it's a real problem in Silicon Valley because they talk about this pipeline that doesn't exist um, except for essentially white men, like that there are a lot of white men but that there's not enough across the country to fill these jobs. Well, we have to begin building the pipeline starting with – early childhood education. Mm -hmm. We have to get young people excited about uh, STEM. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes what happens... science, technology, engineering, and math. Science, Mm -hmm. technology, engineering, and math. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes what happens is girls get older, they gravitate away Mm -hmm. from those fields. Immediately. Um, People of color who may not have people in their family or may not have schools that are equipped uh, with the right teachers to help them, guide them into this space... Um, get off track. And so what we want to do is, beginning at a very early age, capture their curiosity and intelligence towards these fields and keep the momentum going. And so um, it's everything from figuring out how to get the resources that we need in our school system to make sure that the curriculum so I think it's 50% of schools don't have computer science courses, exactly. correct? Exactly. So you need the teachers that are equipped to go in those schools and teach. Mm-hmm. Uh, you need mentors. You need internship programs. I always like to tell the story of Ursula Burns, who mm-hmm. CEO of Xerox today, and started out as an intern. Mm-hmm. Didn't realize she had an aptitude in engineering, knew she was good in math and science. And mm-hmm. so Getting people to appreciate she's an African American woman too, she's an African American woman who grew up poor, mm-hmm. um, was not exposed, didn't have engineers in her family, had no role models in this space, but was able to secure this internship at Xerox, and so. Well, Opening up those doors so that we have we are populating Ursula Burns all over the country is what we have got to what do. What is the problem? Because one of the statistics that I saw in one of your sheets, which was disturbing, was in CS courses, AP CS courses. There's 500 
uh, only 500 across the country, uh, African-American and Latina, uh, Latina, African-American women and Latinas, um, study, doing these courses. That's a small number. And in 12 states, not at all. It's a fraction. And so yeah. what we have to do, and you, you mentioned states, part of our approach is working at the state right. and local level. And so we're recruiting mayors across the country, for example, to work with their community colleges or private employers to get again, these young people interested in these fields and make sure that the curriculum is designed in a way so when you finish a community college, for example, there's a job waiting for you. And using our community college system is a more effective routing system to get people into the field who, mm-hmm. would, who would have historically not been interested. So what would you do with a community college? How would you So I'll give, you, you, I'll give you an example. Yeah. So, for example, IBM. Uh, is, has partnered with a school in New York, and they design the curriculum, and they work hand-in-glove with the teachers on the curriculum, and they help support the program in the school. And so the young people are being trained beginning as early as sixth grade, I think it is, mm-hmm. um, to develop um, an aptitude in these fields. And then at the end of it, they hire them. Mm-hmm. And they know that the people are trained for the, with the qualifications that they need because they prepared the curriculum. And so Companies such as IBM are doing this now all across the country, beginning as early as middle school and certainly in the community colleges. And these partnerships are going to forge um, a better product in the end. And and what we have to do is to encourage young people, expose them. Well, what's, to what do you imagine the problem? If you had to pick one, I know there's many. I know it's a complex issue. There are many. Is, is it is it just is it gender bias, racial bias? What do you is there something at work here that happens? I think it's opportunity. I always say that really talent is ubiquitous and Mm -hmm. opportunity is not. And so if you're a young black girl going to a public school in Chicago uh, that doesn't have the kind of courses that are going to excite your interest, how will you ever know about that opportunity? And so what we have to do in the school, in the community, through internships and exposure is to open up everybody's eyes to the opportunity and make sure that they have the skill set for the jobs that um, are going unfilled right now. Mm -hmm. I mean, here you have our unemployment rate, which has come down substantially from Mm -hmm. 10% down to 5.1, but you still see um, it's far too high among communities of color. And yet we hear people in Silicon Valley are paying finder's fees for engineers. And so Mm -hmm. you have this mismatch. And so we have to create the opportunity. And it begins as early as early childhood education all the way through. And then the other challenge is, of course, once you get people of color and women to enter into these fields, Mm -hmm. how do you keep them there? Right. And we all know that- What's the problem from your perspective? There are a host of issues, say computer science. I think the average is women stay about three years. Yeah. And the surveys that I've looked at, the number one reason they leave is culture. Mm Mm-hmm. They don't feel the culture is welcoming to them. Right, You'll right. find the same comment with people of color. Mm-hmm. And so one of our solutions, and we had a great uh, demo day at the White mm-hmm. House in the last past summer, is to put the spotlight on this issue. And so, for example, if only 3% of venture capital-backed firms are led by women. Mm-hmm. So what is can it we that do? much? I don't think it's even that much. So what can we do to... Um, match up both venture capital, institutional investors with these new innovators. So we had this demo day and we had all these incredible women and people of color come and show what they are actually doing and then get commitments from those who have the 
purse strings to say, yes, this is something we value investing in. One of the in. interesting things is venture capitalists still don't move. One of the When we were covering the Ellen Paltrow, I'm sure you're aware mm-hmm. of what was happening there. Um, when the issues around uh, gays in Indiana was happening, every tech executive stepped forward to have a quote on it. They love the gays. They're going to support the gays. Bad Indiana, that kind of stuff. When it came to getting quotes about women or people of color in tech, silence. It was fascinating to watch because they're like, oh, and one of them actually said, that's the third rail. I'm not touching that, Kara, which was, you know, sort of disturbing to hear. It's interesting because I actually was out in Silicon Valley Mm -hmm. earlier in the summer and met with a pretty substantial group Mm -hmm. of tech companies. Mm -hmm. And I said, look, we have a challenge here. You obviously... You're statisticians. You look at the data. Yeah, 70% white, 70% abysmal, and you're leaving a lot of talent on the sidelines. Mm -hmm. And we had a great session, and they came up with a lot of interesting ideas, whether it was a Rooney rule where you have to interview people of color or women Mm -hmm. in in your final pool. Um, Intel, for example, ties compensation to whether or not you have a diverse Mm -hmm. workforce that reports to you, and and so they made this a priority. Um, Recruiting from HBCUs, historically mm-hmm. black colleges and universities around the country, where you have a talent pool just waiting. Uh, one of the suggestions that was made is, again, working with the HBCUs, similarly to the way we're working with community colleges, to improve the curriculum and make it more tailored to the needs of the marketplace. So there, I think I was heartened to see that there yeah. was an appetite, and a lot of those companies then came to our demo day and did make commitments yeah. about what they want to do to improve diversity. Should, should the government force the issue, make them make them do that or not? Do you think that just doesn't work? I think we have laws that prohibit discrimination. Mm-hmm. I think culture is something which really has to happen on the ground. And I think if you look at the evidence, uh, so for example, last year we had a White House summit on working families, companies that understand that diversity is a strength, that recognize that the workplace of this 21st century um, has needs and demands that are different due to changes in demographics. And so mm-hmm. employers that recognize that, and whether it's equal pay for equal work or whether it's workplace flexibility, paid leave, paid sick leave, affordable childcare. Uh, raising the minimum wage, this whole basket of issues that are important to working families, mm-hmm. companies that figure that out and invest accordingly are have a more productive workplace. Yes, there they are have statistics. Less definitely. turnover and ultimately in the private sector more profitable. And so part of what we've been trying to do is to make the business case for why diversity is a strength. And businesses will be better if they want to be globally competitive if mm-hmm. they understand that. Well, certainly China, India, other countries that are competing with us, they graduate them and droves. Absolutely. And we can too. And so, you know, we have a hundred deans from engineering schools around the country who are committed to try to um, improve the number of people that are going into these fields. And so we have, we have an enormous amount of energy behind this, but this isn't going to change overnight. Well, one last question in this area. One of the words they use in Silicon Valley, I know you've all used it, is unconscious bias. I hate that word. I think it's because I think it's an excuse for laziness. They know just what they're doing. You know what I mean? Like I didn't mean to to do this, they, it's if you look at, pick your head up and look at a table and you see all white guys and you you think it's unconscious, it's sort of shocking to me, like that you're not paying attention. I think what happens is these folks start businesses with their friends mm-hmm. and their buddies and the mm-hmm. people that they went to college with, or, and they gravitate towards people who are like them. Yeah, and I think that that's a societal challenge that we have is mm-hmm. to get outside of our comfort zone and recognize that you're actually going to be better off if you're talking to somebody with whom you don't see identically mm-hmm. on issues, that that's that diversity actually is a strength. You're very kind. I think they're lazy and they know just what they're doing well, most of the time. I think they really they, do. I, I, you know, putting a pejorative word on yeah. it is I think yeah. 
not as important as figuring out how to convince them it's in their self-interest. Right. People right. tend to be motivated by self-interest. Absolutely. You're 100% right. I'm just mean. Um, so I didn't say that. <laughs> you said that. <laughs> Pejorative. I heard that word. Um, I, you're, you're for fixing things. I'm for like smacking them around until they fix things. Um, so let's talk about things that you, you do, you're doing, um, and then we'll get to uh, some other issues. But a uh, college scorecard. Explain like what you've done. You have the digital service. You have 18F. You've got lots of teams that come in now. You, you embed know, things. Our, our whole point is as simple as this. We want um, as much transparency as possible. We want everybody, as they're thinking about whether or not they want to invest in a college, what are they going to get in return for it? Mm-hmm. What What is their return on their investment? So the point is the government has all this data, yes. and it's all over the place. The goal is to make it – And it's often in silos or somewhere yes. hidden away. And so the goal is to make it as intelligible as possible so it is useful, so it's user-friendly. So explain College Scorecard. Well, and you've hired our, a very top person from Amazon to work on this. To work on it and right. make it so it's intelligible so that you have a scorecard and you can figure out, okay, this is what I'm likely to get from my investment if I go to this college. Mm-hmm. And so that you have a database that you can compare it to. And this transparency is something that we're doing in a host of other areas. Mm-hmm. So, for example, um, schools all around the country ubiquitously have a challenge in terms of sexual assault on college mm-hmm. campuses. It's on us. You're, it's, it's on, on us. us as our, it's on us as an initiative that grew out of a task force that the president created that I was one of the co-chairs of to look at, look at the statistics. One in five women are sexually assaulted while in college before they leave college. Right. That's an epidemic. And it's a if it was in any, if it was anything else, mm-hmm. you would say, "Oh my gosh, we have got to do something about it." And so, we ran a process uh, to talk to a whole range of stakeholders about what can we do to end sexual assault on college mm-hmm. campus. And what came out of it is there's no silver bullet. Mm-hmm. Yes, the colleges and universities need to take their responsibility right. serious under Title IX to provide a safe environment for young people to learn, and we have the tool of withholding federal funds if they don't. That is. That is one tool and a, a punitive tool. But what we have done, back to my point about transparency, mm-hmm. is now if you have a um, complaint filed in the Civil Rights Division of the Department of Education, mm-hmm. um, we're going to be transparent. We publish the list of all the colleges mm-hmm. and universities that have these complaints filed against them. And it's a wake-up call to them to take the responsibility seriously because we were finding – uneven um, results in terms of how colleges and universities mm-hmm. approach this issue. Second thing that we learned from our um, our broad engagement is everybody has a role to play if we want to change the culture. Mm-hmm. Back to the culture issue. Bystander intervention, the CDC shows, is a really important tool to prevent it. Mm-hmm. Empowering young people to say, hey, let me take you home from the party. Mm-hmm. You've had too much to drink. Right. Hey, don't take it. Don't rape some woman because she's had too much to drink. Stop mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Getting involved and mm-hmm. intervening. And you use social media a lot. And you talk about the Lady Gaga thing you were involved yeah. in. This so, was a disturbing video that is hard to watch. So um, the second we've just come up on the second anniversary right. of It's on Us, and we are focusing on the issue of consent. Mm-hmm. What you have to have consent. If you have sex without consent, that's rape and mm-hmm. that's a crime. Mm-hmm. And so we engaged um, a broad array of uh, celebrities to say, we need your help. We'll do, we did a PSA and we featured a lot of celebrities talking about consent. And then we said to everybody else, you do whatever you do that's authentic to you. And so mm-hmm. Lady Gaga uh, did a music video, which is very graphic. It's mm-hmm. painful to watch. And it shows the effects of rape mm-hmm. on the lives of of women, mm-hmm. and 
It's really powerful. And social media is where it really took off. It took off in social media. She's got more followers than just about anybody you can Mm -hmm. imagine. Mm -hmm. And it was really a public service to say, um, this could happen to you. Is this is social media a better way to get these things out like this? Because you can have there's all kinds of apps around this around date rape and all kinds of things. But you could do it with almost anything. You could. And our view is it's not any it's not a either or. It's a both and. We want right. to use as many different tools as possible to get people engaged. But the fact of the matter is, young people are on social media, and so mm-hmm. our theory is let's meet them where they are, mm-hmm. and they're much more likely to listen to a Lady Gaga video mm-hmm. than anything on that we can say exactly on their telephone or whatever social media. They I like to use their telephone. They love their... No one did I say telephone? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I I'm like dating it. myself here. <laughs> no, I'm going to talk their about your, iPhone. your technical <laughs> expertise. I have none. I'm right. shameless about yeah, it. We'll I talk get about a lot of help for that. Yes, that's good. <laughs> well, you know, everyone, every little bit helps. But the idea is to get a lot of information with either College Cork or It's On Us. Um, when you think about... Um, we're going to talk about this in a second, but I want to talk next about, after a little break for a second, um, what you think, how you think embedding tech people into the government, what that does and where it leads to, and if it can continue. So we'll be back in a second. Um, if you're always on the go like myself and don't have time to sit down and read, audible.com is a great source to be able to catch up on the latest bestsellers. Listen to it while on the road or at the gym. Audible.com is a leading provider of premium digital spoken audio information and entertainment on the internet. Audible content includes more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Audible carries audiobooks in every genre imaginable, business, classics, history, and self-development, just to name a few. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook of your choice and a free 30-day trial membership. Just go to audible.com slash decode and choose from over 180,000 programs. I am trying to figure out my next book. I'm thinking about Life After Life by Kate Axenson. But if you have other suggestions, please send them to me at Kara Swisher on Twitter. Download a title free and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audible.com slash decode. That's audible.com slash decode and get started today. So we're here with Valerie Jarrett, who is uh, one of the senior advisors of President Obama and, again, one of the longest-running ones. I'm curious what you're going to do after, after, after office. You're not thinking I'm curious, that. too. I have yeah. no idea. Yeah. Um, but we're talking a little bit about tech and also what the administration is doing and also initiatives around girls and women. Um, one of the big pushes is to get tech people into the government. Now, they have enormous fortunes to be made in Silicon Valley. That's one of the issues, bringing them here. You know, these people have lots of opportunities. Um, how, how do you think Im- embedding people into the government works? You're doing it in that kind of way as the embedding almost. We are, and I think we have been really, um, really very good at attracting the talent. And I mm-hmm. think part of it is – Yes, you can make a fortune in Silicon Valley, but once you've made that fortune, do you want to keep making a fortune or do you want to give back to your country that you love? And we have been really heartened to see how many people are willing to say, okay, I can, do, I could do this and I could continue to make a ton of cash or I could come in and really attack a challenge. Mm-hmm. And I think, again, the challenges that we had with um, healthcare.gov woke everybody up to that is a problem. And a lot of these smart folks want to solve problems. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to solve a problem, why not solve a problem that's going to really help our country? And so we um, will take them permanently if they want to come in for a permanent job, such Mm -hmm. as Jason Goldman, who's running our digital efforts. He runs our digital efforts in the White House and Mm -hmm. is responsible for – POTUS being on Twitter, something mm-hmm. that we hadn't done before. Well, he's a good person. He was head of product at Twitter. Exactly. Right? exactly. So yeah. he's been very helpful in getting us to think about 
social media as a tool that should be a part of everything that we do. Mm-hmm. Not an afterthought, not something that's um, off operating in a silo, but truly embedded in our philosophy for communication. And so so we may have a permanent people. We have people coming in as fellows that will mm-hmm. come in as a kind of a SWAT team to attack a challenge right. Right. and then perhaps go back. But I think we're now developing a reputation in Silicon Valley mm-hmm. as a government that is open and interested in innovating. And that makes it extraordinarily rewarding. And mm-hmm. I think that our goal is to get sufficient number of people embedded, partnering with the people who are federal employees, many longstanding ones, who want to improve and mm-hmm. just need somebody to help guide them in how to do it more effectively. Such as procurement, for example. Such as procurement. Cor- I mean, I think the college board thing is a good example. They were spending a lot of money and it wasn't working. And then it wasn't this anything woman that from, was useful. Who is the woman? I forgot her name, Lisa. Uh, too. Yeah. But it, it was not user friendly. And right. if the whole point of government is to serve mm-hmm. and to take this information that we spend. A lot of resources gathering. No, it was expensive. You're wasting How money. We're, we're not using, we're not using mm-hmm. it in an optimal way to be user-friendly. And mm-hmm. so technology can be extraordinarily helpful in that. And so I think we would like to embed, as you to use your word, throughout the federal government, people with expertise that we didn't previously have. Mm-hmm. And it will improve government. And then once we improve it, whoever comes along after President Obama is going to have to continue it because obviously it can – I do. I hope so. Well, he started that. He started he did, more of the He film. absolutely started. He came along. He will be the technology president mm-hmm. who had a challenge, met the challenge head on, and changed the way the federal government approaches technology generally and then communicating through social media. No one was communicating out of the White House through social media mm-hmm. um, prior to President Obama taking office the way we have Does today. he like Twitter? Yeah, he does. And he actually does. He likes it because it's authentic. Mm-hmm. And he likes the fact that he can say in, you know, 140 characters or less so something bypass the he press. really wants to say. No, I get it. No, it's, Well, it, it gets – it's unfiltered. Right. And I think that's part of the magic of social media. Right. And some of that's good and some of it's not so Does he so have like good. 90 people deciding? Are you the last person before he pushes the, the tweet button? He actually is the one that decides. We uh-huh. all look at them, but yeah. he decides. And that's yeah. what keeps it authentic. I yeah. think if it gets to the point where it's wordsmithed by other people, yeah. then – it won't be as popular as it is now. Yeah, yeah. Now you don't. Do you don't use Twitter, right? You I do, do use. You Twitter. use Twitter, but EJ forty four. Okay. Do you use it liberally, or do you hold back? Because you get like you were talking earlier. I was interviewing Lena Dunham, who gets super attacked. You get attacked. The president gets attacked. You hold back. I have to hold back. I think I have to. I have to be appropriate. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I try to. I try to engage, and mm-hmm. I, I wish I had more time to actually have conversations. Uh, this will have occurred by the time uh, this podcast broadcasts, but I'm doing a Twitter chat today mm-hmm. on what's happening on the ground um, to combat gun violence, for mm-hmm. example. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think have, on gun violence, on gun violence, mm-hmm. yeah, because there are a lot, there are a lot of people out there really working on this issue at the state right. and local level, and so I want to talk about those conversations and talk about how we can create a groundswell to get Washington to change as well. So when 90% of the country wants to do something and you can't get it to happen here in Washington, we have to continue to create this groundswell that puts pressure on the people. Also, gun advocates are all here. very active on social media too. It's really, when you mention it at all, it's really quite something. It On both sides, emotions um, are high, but our view is this. You can respect and abide by the Second Amendment and protect the rights of people to bear arms. But do you really need to have the kind of arsenals that are available without any background check whatsoever mm-hmm. that can be put to a horrible, heinous, destructive mm-hmm. use? We don't think 
you, you do, that's right. not right. And so uh, we're going to have a conversation about that today. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting question. I, you know, it, which is, and what, are you, what is your stance that you have to be able to do, get these background checks? And I think a background check is an is a absolutely reasonable thing to ask somebody to go mm-hmm. through before you give them a weapon that can kill somebody. Absolutely. Um, when you talk about this idea of, of reaching out in this way, are you yourself – I want to talk about one other thing and then ask about your own personal tech use and then got to go. Um, but when you um, – a lot of people don't have access. Access is a big issue. You know, obviously there's issues around net neutrality and all kinds of things with companies. But, you know, I think it was – in it's an area you're responsible for, tribal areas, mm-hmm. less than 10 percent, yes. some incredibly low. Yeah, and the president has been putting the spotlight on that issue, right. working with our partners in the private sector to expand um, – there is this digital divide. And so what are we going to do to ensure that our entire country is connected? And so whether it's a remote tribe or whether it's, you know, the upper peninsula of Michigan, wherever it is where people don't have access, we've got to, we've got to connect them. That's the only way our country is going to be global. Well, it's an embarrassment. Korea has three hundred times the, the speed and the cost is third or something. It's some astonishing we thing. To, we have got to upgrade our system. And, 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 the government can't do it alone, and so the private sector has stepped in and been very helpful. Do you think the government should do it alone? Because one of that, one of the areas is the government put in universal telephone access, very similar kind of situation. Well, there, there are lots of investments I'd like to see our government making um, mm-hmm. that, unfortunately, given the composition of Congress right now, are not likely. Infrastructure generally is a big problem. Mm-hmm. Again, our roads, our bridges, our airports right. are right. an embarrassment around mm-hmm. the world, and investing in them would only um, – create opportunities for our businesses, for our country to continue to attract jobs and investment here. And yet we've been unable to get Congress to do the kind of investment in infrastructure generally. And digital infrastructure is a part of that equation. Well, to me, it's where jobs are, where health, if you want health care information. One of the things I was talking to someone about was if you're a mother that needs to get um, things for your kids, you have to go into the office. You have a, you have a low, you know, minimum wage job. You should have an app that just lets you figure out all of the different services the government, state and local and federal, can provide to you. Absolutely. Um, you know, instead of getting on a bus and, and you know killing a day and trying to find childcare you can't get and things like that. Oh, it's really absolutely. You know, if we can literally, if we can call an Uber in seconds, it's really kind of fascinating. The government services aren't quite as. I mean, you know, I don't want you to have Uber run the government. By the way, that could be disastrous. Um, let's uh, finish up. You don't have to comment on that. Um, Let's finish up that on what you use um, personally. I'm really always interested. I asked the president a bunch of stuff. People got excited about his answers. What do you, what do you, what do you use? What do you, how do you what, look what at yourself? Yes. Devices? How do you look at technology? Do you, are you scared of it? Obviously, is um, it cool? That's a good question. It's cool. Mm-hmm. I feel like I have a lot to catch up on. Mm-hmm. For example, I would like to know how to code. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to do that. I'm mm-hmm. going to get some of our folks to teach me how to do that before too long. Mm-hmm. Uh, devices, I have an iPhone for work and I have an iPhone for personal. I iPhone a, 4, did you say? iPhone 4 work. Okay, I have work. iPhone 6, okay. the new one that just came out. Yeah, with a haptic touch. Uh-huh. I have that. Uh-huh. I just got that because I cracked my last one. Um, you don't use a BlackBerry anymore? I just got rid of the BlackBerry. How no, is that? Are you okay? No, because I'm still not too good on the keyboard pad on uh-huh. the iPhone. I prefer the BlackBerry keypad. Uh-huh. But there are so many other advantages to the iPhone. So mm-hmm. I've moved over to that. I have an iPhone, iPad mm-hmm. for work and I have an iPad for my personal use as well. Mm-hmm. So I have two and two. Right. And do you, how would you use, what do you use actually? You don't have a private server, right? We talked about that earlier. I do not. <laughs> do not get one. It causes trouble for whoever, whichever woman gets one, it's a problem. Um, but I'm not naming names. Um, 
who what else do you use? Do you use Instagram? Do you use you I, use um, Twitter a little bit? I just bit. signed up on Instagram, but I haven't mm-hmm. really gotten into using that. Mm-hmm. I use Twitter a lot. Mm-hmm. I probably tweet a few times and a day. And consume it a lot. And I consume it I consume it or it is consumed for me, mm-hmm. and then I get a summary of what might be interesting. I don't. I, hope I don't have a out. lot of time to yeah. to just like go through my feed. Right. I follow. I think about four hundred and maybe four forty people up, and I go up and down depending upon whether I think they're saying interesting things. And what else do you use? That's about it. On demand, like, like TV and streaming oh, TV. TV, sure. Yeah. I I have like now the whole. Panoply of Netflix and right. Amazon and all mm-hmm. of that stuff. Does it confuse you? I'm getting the hang of it. My son-in-law is an engineer, uh-huh. so he hooked me up. Yeah. He came and he just like set it all up in a little box. I have no idea how any of it works. You just turn it on. I just turn it on. Um, last thing, would you like to have a self-driving car? You know, I took a spin in yeah, Google's the Google car. one, the little yeah, clown last car. Last year, yeah. yeah, it was still not the one that challenges. has not the one that has is on an old car that makes an old car move. Um, or was it the new yeah, clown car? No, it was the. I, There's one where it has no wheel, no steering wheel, and no pedals. This has a steering wheel for okay, sure, yeah. and the computer that lets you override it with yeah. the satellite. No, at the they top. have a clown car where you don't. Care. I saw that on I saw that on TV. This was about a year ago. So mm-hmm. no, I, would you? So like would one? I do that? Mm, it left me feeling a little uncomfortable and out of control. Mm-hmm. And so I tend to think in the car I would like to be in saves control. Gas. But saves on lives. the other hand, saves lives. And I think about. My mom, who's mm-hmm. 86 and who still drives and is mm-hmm. a really good driver. Mm-hmm. But at the point in time where she can't drive, it would be wonderful for her to be able to go where she wants to go, when she wants to go. People with disabilities, I think it's a huge mm-hmm. – I think it would be a huge service. It may take me a while. Mm-hmm. But you know what? At my age, things take a while. I might mm-hmm. get there. Okay. Last question. What would you like to Silicon Valley to invent if you hmm. could ask them? You don't want to go to Mars. I don't. But you know what I would li- would have liked – like another 10 years between 20 and 30. Huh. Why is that? I always have thought that. Because I think, and my daughter is about to turn 30, so I think about it from that perspective. I think at that age, women in particular are working so hard to try to get their career going mm-hmm. at the same time that they're mindful of about a biological clock. Mm-hmm. And so I always thought if you had another 10 years in there, you could actually do both. So they'd invent that. They'd invent that, yeah. How to stretch it out. How to, And obviously, things are progressing so that Women are yeah. figuring out all kinds of creative ways of having children later in life. But I just always wanted an extra 10 years well, back in there. There's all sorts of stuff going on around the body. I think that's the next big area is embeddable things, a thing that you embed. Would you embed something in your body to well, have better vision? Or things? Dip- oh, well, sure, yeah. for a better vision, yeah. yeah, as long as I felt reasonably certain it was safe. Ah. Yeah, there's that. You mean privacy? The cost-benefit analysis. Yeah. No, you know what? That actually does – that doesn't bother me as yeah. much. I'm not. I kind of assume that everything I say and do, maybe because I've been in public life for so yeah. long, is going to be transparent. And so I kind of live with a certain amount of intrusion. It's what the it's the trade off we made. It is the trade off we make. Although I obviously we have to protect everybody's right to privacy, but in terms of myself, I kind of feel like I'm an open book. Open book. Open source. <laughs> Hopefully, since that's a big part of it my is. job is it to is. engage and to get people to feel like they're a part of government and that we are actually serving them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so The client. The, they are the client. And so I take that responsibility pretty seriously. And it's it's really what I love most about my job is, is that 
we are there to make sure that our policies are informed by the public. Mm -hmm. And whether it's a wide range of constituents or whether it's elected officials, mayors and governors, people who actually are on the ground trying to do good, uh, my job is to help them have a voice. So the next uh, State of the Union on Snapchat then? Wouldn't that be something? Yeah. You can do it, Valerie. One could do it. I heard the president listens to you, so. (laughs) (laughs) Not if I give him that suggestion for the State of the Union. Maybe not. Try it. Come on. Maybe a piece of it. We might do a little Snapchat on the side. Valerie, come on. Well, the the last State of the Union, we had a whole digital component for the first time. I know. The kids love it. Just FYI. I know. So I hear. Yeah. So So you're thinking I should be on Snapchat, too? Oh, yes, Valerie. Sorry. It never ends. They keep inventing stuff. You're going to have to keep going. That's the magic of our country. They keep inventing stuff. Yeah. Anyway, thank you so much, Valerie Jarrett. My pleasure. Thank you, Car. That wraps up this week's Red Chair here on Recode Decode. Next week, we have Ericsson CEO Hans Vestberg. For now, stay with us for a discussion with Walt Mossberg about TV online. Today's Too Embarrassed to Ask is brought to you by Audible.com, which has more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Get a free audiobook of your choice at audible.com slash decode. Google, Apple, Amazon, and many others are focused on delivering TV online, a fast-growing arena. Here to explain what it all means is Walt Mossberg from our sister site, The Verge. Walt is joining us today via phone. Welcome, Walt. Hey, Kara. How's it going? Are you watching TV right now? What are you watching? I'm doing the laundry you know, things like that. TV yeah, I was watching like uh, Homeland last night on this TV online kind of thing. So uh-huh. um, let's talk about what can you explain the overall like, people have been doing it for a while like, on demand and things like that and Netflix and others. But talk about where it is right so now. It's really, it's really sort of um, an annoying situation we're at right now. Things have finally started to move, but we're sort of stuck in the middle uh, in that uh, a lot of things that are on cable can be gotten uh through, uh, you know, streaming services that you you get when you buy a Roku or an Apple TV or a Amazon Firebox or Chromecast or any of these devices. But, you know, some are on one, some are on the other. They're all separate yeah. subscriptions. And there still are things you may want to watch on cable that you can't get on those. So um, I reviewed uh, this week, uh, this past week, um, the new TiVo. TiVo's been around forever, but... TiVo now has both cable. It replaces your cable box, so you get just regular cable. And it has Netflix, Amazon, YouTube, uh, Hulu, stuff like that, and Pandora and Spotify. So without changing the input on your TV or going to another box, you can do this all on this new TiVo Bolt. And did you like it? I did like it. Um, You know, it's not perfect. You know me. I, I, uh, I always find some problem but um by and large i liked it and um it's a new platform for them and you know they've always struggled even though they they kind of popularized the dvr and they are now a verb but they still struggle and but uh, you know it's really kind of a pleasure they also have this fantastic feature where you can hit one button and skip an entire block of commercials oh i like that i mean like there could be six, six commercials in a row it only works on the top 20 cable networks, and it only works on recorded shows that are on at night. But that's a lot, really. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, it doesn't let you skip Hulu ads, but it lets you skip ads on ABC, NBC, uh, major cable networks, and it works really well. They also have one that you would love, mm-hmm. for sure. 
which is they will speed up any show you're watching by 30% while keeping the voices hmm. in the right pitch so they don't sound like chipmunks. So but fast talkers. I like a fast talker, as you know. Fast. Yeah. All right. So, yeah. um, so let's uh, go through the questions that we have from Twitter about this issue. Uh, let's start okay. with R.O. Howell. Uh, who said, uh, how close is, was Apple's rumored deal with broadcasters to include broadcast in Apple TV? Probability of this? Well, I, you know, first of all, I think that's a much better question for our genius colleague, Peter Kafka, the world's greatest media reporter, because mm-hmm. he's TM, been following this. TM. He has all, all the sources. Mm-hmm. But um, if I had to guess, I'd guess there is a, yes, it is probable that something uh, something will happen. I don't know what the shape or form or timing of it is, but I, you know, as I said, the the thing is moving, and so I imagine Apple will get some kind of service. All right. Um, unless uh, here's one from S. D. Modi. Why does football look so poor when streaming on Watch ESPN? Very jittery during moving plays. Well, because one of the things that happens when you stream anything, whether it's football or anything else, over the Internet is you're now suddenly reliant on the Internet. I mean, one thing, we all hate cable in one way or another, but one thing about cable is that unless it actually breaks down, which it does once in a while, it it doesn't stutter or anything because it's a completely dedicated line that's was built to carry TV. The internet, as we know, mm-hmm. does a bazillion things, and sometimes it gets congested, and you you may not have a great internet connection in your house or whatever. So, I would say that's the answer. So that's not going to be fixed via these services. They're not pushing for that. No, no. Unless the the companies that control the pipes, like Comcast or you know Cox or somebody, decide to somehow do something about it, but no. Okay. Fred Purchase, why can't I watch cable through an independent device, Apple TV, Roku, etc.? Well, because there once was a negotiation that I was told about by both parties, actually, between Brian Roberts, the head of Comcast, and Steve Jobs, in which Comcast wanted Apple to build cable boxes, you know, essentially created an Apple TV that had a cable that could be used as a cable box. And it, the negotiations broke down, broke down because Comcast insisted that Apple use some software developed by the cable industry, and Steve Jobs said he would never in his life put Apple's logo on anything with that software. So uh, they each told me about it. Um, so, uh, but I want to go back to this Tebow thing, which nobody ever remembers because they've been around so long. Although they, although they took giant full page page ads, I think three full pages in the print New York Times uh, today. They have this Tebow bolt, and they do have a... You can watch cable. It is an independent box. Not not It's your box once you buy it, not rented from the cable company. And you can watch cable, and you can also watch uh, all these other services. All right. So one of the things that people are concerned about sports, unless you need your sports, many do, and that's understandable, why in the world would you ever pay for cable? That's Russell Bold. And nearby... Uh, do you feel the MLB app showed a, via Apple TV is the future of sports viewing? Notifications, alerts, a very cool concept on TV. Uh, well, let me take the last one first. Because um, you're a baseball the, lover, uh, aren't you? Uh, I, I do like baseball, and I know you like all sports, actually. Um, 
the what the what the writer is talking about is that Apple in demoing their new Apple TV showed a a very cool MLB app. Like, mm-hmm. If I remember correctly, it let you watch more than one game, and it you know it just did all kinds of things, and it gave you stats and notifications and everything. And uh, the answer is, I think wall of television is going to begin to look like that. Some of it already does. Comcast has a box uh, called the X One that that uh, will give you sports scores that pop up. Um, this TiVo uh, has a similar thing. Uh, I just think you're going to see it um, everywhere. Uh, on the first question about why in the world would anyone buy cable if they didn't need sports, you know, I, I would have to do a, a, a thorough search, but I'm pretty sure there still are a lot of channels on cable that don't necessarily appear on these streamers streaming boxes or which have a subscription fee that if you added it all up, you might not like. But I, but I, but I will say that in general, I think for most people, given the channels they watch and what's now already available on these boxes, it does make sense to cut the cord unless, well, sports and live events. So, you know, disasters that break and the news channels go 24 seven, right. uh, political, you know, elections, things like that. Uh, you still uh, are, are not going to be able to exactly replicate that. Are they doing that on purpose just to hold on to viewers or just it's better in that format? Well, I mean, sports leagues and the networks, right. cable networks and broadcast networks have a great mutual interest in, in making sure, you know, they even have uh, blackouts and, yeah. uh, you know, all kinds of things to make to make sure things are exclusive. Do you imagine someday so, an Apple they're, or... They're beginning to move. Right. They're but, beginning to move. There, there, is, there are some... I think, I think Peter, our, our friend Peter wrote recently that the NFL did put at least one game live. Maybe it was an experiment on uh, streaming. And Major League Baseball does, but they charge you for it. So but do you think they'll, that an Apple or a Google ever reach out to buy these rights so they can do it themselves? Well, they can afford it. Uh, we we know that. So, yes, I think it's possible. But my guess is when they go in and say they want to buy the rights, the leagues will say either we can't sell them to you because they're now exclusive to NBC and whoever else, or they'll say um, you can have them for the exact same price NBC has has paid us. And typically Google and Apple don't like don't, don't feel like they ought to pay the same price. Right. Um, last one. Uh, when will we? When will set-top boxes allow full browsers to run because torrent sites would be accessible? Is that the reason they're not? This is from Dennis M. Yeah, I, I think it's just basically that, that surfing the web on a television, which has been tried many times, is a pretty bad experience. I mean, it, it could be done right now. For instance, Chromecast, which is Google's, little stick that goes in the back of your TV and, and, and lets you uh, stream from your phone or tablet or something, actually is the Chrome browser. It actually is a browser. Yeah. It's just that they're only showing you one tab right. of the browser and right. no... No ability know, to manipulate it. Like right, that. exactly. So they could do that, but, I mean, you know, all the way back to web TV, which is in the 80s, I think... Um, and Microsoft eventually bought it. it. It just wasn't a good experience. And uh, so I don't think there's no technical uh, difficulty. Um, you know, I don't think it has to do with torrent or anything like that. I just think 
It's a bad experience. And, and, and again, we're at halfway point, you're saying. We're at the halfway point before this becomes – because I find it difficult still, and yeah, I'm pretty good. I think we're good. somewhere in the middle. Um, as recently as a couple of years ago, I would have said we're in the first inning, but I, I think we're in the somewhere in the middle. And uh, it may not be Apple. It may be that the media companies decide they like – they would prefer to go with Roku or Amazon or Google or somebody. But – I think it, you know, a lot has already shifted over. I mean, the big break was when HBO moved over, right? Over and the then top. ESPN moved over as part of the Sling package. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, the, the, the things are really are in motion, but it's not like it's instant. So, uh, so I, so I'm not going to get whatever I want whenever I want it. Still, that's how I want to live my life, Walt. Don't you understand? Here I know, and, and, and <laughs> for the most part, I would say 90%, you get whatever you want, whatever you want, and I support that. But um, I think from what I am told, and again, this is a great question for Peter, but I think that even during the negotiation that, that let's say, Apple, for instance, has been having, they started off with the idea of total a la carte, and they're now really only talking about trying to narrow the bundles you have to pay for. You will still have to have a bundle. All right, Walt. Now, you have, just very quickly, you have a new podcast. Explain it to us. Control, Walt, Delete. Who thought that one up? That was actually, well, first of all, it's a podcast that runs every Thursday. Mm-hmm. It's, it's based out of The Verge, and it's me and the editor of The Verge, and Neelai Patel, talking mm-hmm. about uh, whatever I've written about, whatever's in the news and tech for about half an hour. And the name I cannot take credit for was, it was cooked up, I think alcohol might have been involved, but it was mm-hmm. cooked up by like a doubtlessly in cigars somewhere at The Verge. And people seem to like the name and, and the podcast so far. We've only done two episodes, so we're not And you talk about um, things techie. Veterans. Yeah, so you talk about things techie. You kibitz. We kibitz. We kibitz, kibitz about tech. We're Are cigars involved? Are there cigars involved? Uh, it's remote. We're, it's done in two different cities, but yeah, uh, there's no we can smoke cigars. Yeah. <laughs> Just teasing, Walt. Anyway, it's a great podcast. Everyone should listen to it. Control Walt Delete. It is available on iTunes with Neelay Patel and Walt. Thank you, Walt. See you soon. Thank, thank you. Kara. Hear you soon. Hear you soon. Hear you soon. Bye. Bye. Next week we'll have Lauren Good of The Verge joining us. And now on Enough Said. We're going to be talking to Kurt Wagner about the new appointment of Jack Dorsey, the founder of Twitter, as its new CEO. Actually, it's return CEO. Welcome, Kurt. Hey, good morning, Kara. How you doing? It looks like our report was correct. He's going to be the permanent CEO of Twitter, which we reported last week, and he was actually appointed last week. Yeah, it was correct. Yes, let's uh, take a little lap, Kurt. Covering the story for months. Yes, and exactly. And it's nice that it finally came together. So now what, Kurt? Because like, I don't care. Now that story's over. We've moved along. We won that one. What's the What's going to happen now? Well, I think now the challenge is going to be how does Jack divide his time? Because as we reported uh, last week and then again this morning, he's now the CEO of two companies full time, uh, which I'm you know not exactly sure how it's going to happen. So. I think specific to Twitter, you know, he's been talking a lot about product and what they're going to do to try and revamp those uh, user numbers that have been stagnant for quite a while. 
But I'm kind of waiting to see which company, either Twitter or Square, which one complains first that they're not getting enough jack yeah, time. Not enough so, jack. You know, not enough jack to go around. Um, so let's, jack. let's talk about Twitter's issues because I think they're more pressing. Uh, Square's on a little more sure footing. Twitter's had issues of users. The product is the main issue. And I talked to Peter Curry this morning, uh, the, the one who was leading the search, um, who said there were lots of their candidates, but they thought Jack's vision of the product was the best one and also that his work on the job training that he'd been doing since he'd been interested. CEO had shown a real uh, sense of where the product needed to go. Yeah, well, it, that's, I think, a big reason that he got the job, right, is that he is the, the co-founder of Twitter. And as everyone has said uh, all along, and then again echoed this morning, is that no one's been thinking about Twitter longer than Jack. So they truly believe that if anyone's going to be able to fix the product and to really uh, make the product easier to use for the regular people out there, that Jack's the guy. And so they've been talking a lot about this Project Lightning that's supposed to launch soon. And uh, really what that is, it's about a way to take tweets around specific events and make it easier to follow, you know, for example, the Emmys or the Super Bowl or some kind of event that everyone's talking about. And I think that they hope that that's going to lure people to Twitter who, who aren't currently using it because they care about those events that are happening on TV and in real life. And, you know, they hope they go to Twitter to hear about them. So, so what are the, some of the products that are coming out with this Project Lightning and things like that? Talk a little about where that's going. So I think uh, Project Lightning is, is all about, you know, like I said, bringing people together around specific events and uh, hopefully luring new users to Twitter who, who want to follow those events uh, online. And then as, as we also reported, as the 140 character thing, I think that's, that's a huge sign or that was a huge sign when we reported that last week. The Jack is here to stay and is here to make some pretty big changes because, as you know, the 140 character count has kind of been a staple and, and a, uh, an important part of Twitter mm-hmm. since the very beginning. And they're thinking about uh, expanding beyond that and also building a specific product to help people write things that are longer than 140 characters on Twitter. And some people say that's a sacred feature of Twitter, the 140 character count, but Jack's willing to go beyond that. So Since I he invented it, he can shows you blow it up, yeah aggressive they're trying to be around this. Yeah. Um, a couple more questions. Adam Bain was made CEO, which we also reported, and Dick Costello left the board, the former CEO. Adam's going to be a critical mm-hmm. executive here. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he's already a critical executive. He's the one who's bringing in the money. And and I think that as we've heard throughout all these uh, last few months, he was a real serious candidate to be the CEO as well. And mm-hmm. so he's, he's beloved internally. Uh, people just can't say enough good things about him. And now that he's going to be COO, I mean, that only heightens his role and all the things that he gets to oversee within the company. And I think, you know, when you look at Jack as a product visionary, and then you have to kind of assume that Adam is going to be taking over a lot of the more day-to-day logistical things that, that a good COO normally is responsible for. So I think it's a good thing for him because he's going to be involved in things that aren't just the revenue. He's shown that he can do that. So now can he manage, you know, the rest of the business when Jack's off? kind of thinking of these new ways to, to bring on new users. I, th- I think it's a good thing for Twitter. So you think he, he's the right man for the moment? I do, because he's internal, and, and again, he's just, everyone really loves him and respects him. And so if you're going to have someone who's going to be dictating how the company operates on a day-to-day basis, you want it to be someone that people are going to listen to yeah. and rally around. And you, I don't think that there's anyone inside Twitter that, that's better at that than Bain. And you had also talked about Jack changing. As a person, he had a very difficult last run as CEO. He was fired, essentially. Um, was very difficult. Yeah. Was not the easiest person to get along with. Very imperious. Has that changed? 
Well, from what we're hearing, he's a lot more mature now this time around. Mm -hmm. And uh, the last time, which was 2011, where he came in, he wasn't CEO, but he was the executive chairman and and the head of all product. Mm -hmm. And he fired a bunch of people, and he was a bad communicator, and he was kind of standoffish, I think. And and he kind of left Mm -hmm. and went back to Square after a year and a half, and there weren't a lot of positive feelings. And the first time, too, he was CEO. uh, So he's had two times. This this third time's a charm, presumably. Two times. Yeah, two times he's left, and he's left a bad taste in, in everyone's mouth. And I think this time people feel that he's matured. They feel that um, I think his time at Square has really changed him as, mm-hmm. a, as a leader and as a manager specifically. And I think most important is that he seems to have admitted or acknowledged the fact that he can't do it on his own. So he's hired a great executive team at Square, and uh, I think people hope that he's going to continue to hire a great executive team at Twitter so that when he is doing this part-time thing, there's going to be competent people there who mm. can actually run the company when he's not in the building. Right. And so I think that, you know, because of those reasons, people think this time will be different. Of course, we'll, we'll find out if that's well, I always true, say that, cool. and we'll just see about that. We'll just see. We'll see. Anyway, Kurt, thank you for all the great reporting. I've enjoyed doing it with you, and more to come. Yes, thank you for having me. This has been another episode of Recode Decode. Thanks for tuning in. Next week in the red chair will be Hans Vesberg, CEO of Swedish telecom giant Ericsson. Thanks a lot. This has been Recode Decode, hosted by Kara Swisher. For more hard-hitting interviews with insiders from the worlds of tech, media, and politics, subscribe to Recode Replay on iTunes. Featuring candid conversations with leading voices like Snapchat CEO Evan Spiegel, Uber founder Travis Kalanick, reality star Kim Kardashian, Shark Tank host Mark Cuban, and presidential candidate Hillary Clinton, President Obama, and more. They're all on Recode Replay. Thanks for tuning in.